time for Tonight, are you and your mailbag question via post, via airmail, via email, and what have you? PM 2022. We are well into the free agency period of the NBA. The NHL free agency period is starting soon. Baseball season is in its dog days. And y'all, my dogs, where are they at? Um, so, got some questions from you. And we're going to start with. Mike Sauce, Cincinnati, Ohio native. He asks, why was Joey Votto not in the lineup against Max Scherzer last night, even though Votto is one of eight active players with 25-plus plate appearances and a 900-plus OPS against Scherzer? Look at Mike coming out with all the saucy stats. He knows his stuff. Um, the question is, the answer to that question is... Um, I don't know, maybe Votto was scared. Nah, I mean, Votto's not hitting well this year. Um, Even though he's got a great history against Scherzer, he's got a great history against the entire majors, but not yes this year. Reds won anyway because uh, no run support for the Mets, as Jason Speckland pointed out. Um, Here's a question for you, Mike. Joey Votto's now 38. He's played his whole career with the Reds. The Reds have the worst record in the majors or tied for it just about the worst record in the majors so would you like to see Votto on another team uh for the end of his career just so he has a shot at um at a world series and there you go next question is from scott benjamin Okay, long-time listener, first-time caller. Let's imagine a fantasy trade of the 1919 Buffalo Bisons football team trade star halfback Leonard Lenny Kravchak, uh, maybe a precursor to Lenny Kravitz, for 1869 Cincinnati Red Stocking second baseman Charlie Sweezy. Would there have been a Subway series that year if there had been Subways, of course, and if the Subways ran from Buffalo to Cincinnati? I'll take my answer off the air. All right, thanks, Scott. I'm going to give you the answer off the air. Um... You know, it's the the real question here is about transportation between the Great Lakes and the uh, old, you know, industrial cities like Buffalo and Cincinnati. And we should really be investing in high speed rail to connect to those cities. They used to go by boat, I guess, back when they were industrial capitals of the world. 
and um, we don't have that anymore. You know, it'd be great if we could connect Buffalo via high-speed rail to uh, to New York City, Rochester, but also to towns like Detroit and Akron, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Gary, Indiana, and Green Bay, and Minneapolis, that whole Great Lakes region. It would just, uh, it would just uh, be really nice. Look at a map sometime. It's like kind of perfect the way they're set up all across the Great Lakes. Next question is, why do the White Sox, and this is from Matt W.J. Mitchell, why do the White Sox have to make me so mad sad this season? Well, Matt, I guess the, the White Sox can make you sad, but only you can make yourself angry. And that's for anybody out there. You just... Anger is anger comes from within. It's a it's a feeling unto itself. So don't get angry. Just watch the games and know that there is a solution to the problem. But the real problem here is Tony Larusa. He's this is uh you know I I've had Burke Carlson on the show, the oldest living sports fan. So I love I nobody loves nobody loves the elderly more than me. Nobody. Uh, but Tony Larusa is sort of a dinosaur in the game of baseball. He's um, not one for analytics. He, I think, actively hates it. He, and he's one of the few managers who still relies on the intentional walk, something you don't see much in the game. He famously walked uh, Freddie Freeman to get to Max Muncie this year when the count was one and two on Freeman. You don't do that with two strikes, even in the days when intentional walks were popular. But the analytics say intentional walks are bad because um, it's just not worth putting the extra runner on base. Even in the old National League, the old days of the National League, before this year when we had a no DH and the pitchers would hit, if you were dealing with the eighth batter, you still the analytics say you still don't want to put that batter on base to face the pitcher because, well... For one, um, it just puts another runner on base, but more importantly, it then turns the lineup over, and then the next inning, you got to face the top of the lineup, and you don't get to have the inning lead off with the pitcher, which would be for the best. So that's why the White Sox make you so mad, sad. It's because Tony LaRusso. Next question is from Kevin McNair, Kevin the Air McNair. At what point do we see soccer do a strong investment into protective headgear with more players having CTE? Will it ever get to a point of enforcement? Um, I don't see headgear going to the soccer pitch because it would just look stupid. Um, so I see more likely enforcement of actually heading the ball and head becomes like your hands. You can't, you can't touch the ball with your head. But then you got to think, well, what if it accidentally hits your head? I don't know. If it accidentally hits your hand, it's still over. But to think it through, what would the helmets look like? Um, and they might, if they were to enforce this with helmets, it would um, probably lead to more contact. Players fearlessly diving head first and uh, head headbutting and the like. Would they wear football helmets like in American football that might get American fans into it because it might confuse them. They think they're watching American football, but they're really watching European football. I don't know. 
I think that would look weird. No need for face guards. Hockey helmets. I guess you without the the cage or the the visor in front of the eyes. Maybe uh, wrestling helmets, the ones with, that just cover the ears, like like uh, the Steiner brothers used to wear in WCW. You know where wrestling is real. Um, yeah. No helmets, no helmets in soccer, just headbands and uh, no headers. Or they just say, fuck it. I don't know. Giancarlo Azabon asks, how good are my chances of indoctrinating the boy into, <laughs> into Yankees fandom since there's a Giancarlo on the team and he is fucking laying it down. All right, let's look up. Um, so let's look up Giancarlo. He's talking about Giancarlo Stanton's Uh right-handed hitter, power hitter for the Yankees. He is certainly laying it down. His stats this year, he is hitting he's a good, 137 OPS plus. Very good. Not not the greatest he's ever had, but still very, certainly very good. 510 slugging percentage. Um, generally healthy. Low OBP. But anyway, he is a lifetime great hitter. Was great in the playoffs last year. Um, he is importantly 32 years old. Okay, so this is this is to answer your question, Giancarlo. How likely are you to indoctrinate the boy, as you say? So the boy is going to be indoctrinated. I think he'll love Giancarlo Stanton, knowing that it's his dad's name. Um, but when are your boy's formative years? He's probably got three to four more years until that happens, until he starts forming those memories and really starting to appreciate baseball and watching it with you and be like, oh my God, that's that's Giancarlo. So at that point, Stanton's going to be 35, right? And will he still be on the team? And will the team still be good? And will he still be good? Um, he, I think he'll still be producing, but he won't be great. And that's going to... He's, he's going to decline a little bit between now and then. So the timing is maybe a little bit off. Um, so you're going to have to work a little bit harder on your indoctrination. You can't just rely on Giancarlo. You're going to have to hope that the Yankees stay good, that they re-sign Aaron Judge. And um, you're going to have to rely on punishment. That's how you do indoctrination. I mean, I'm not a father, but that's, that's, that's basically what I know. And to hear from someone else uh, with a similar point on this. This is Eric Mangan. He says, Giancarlo, because be cautious with this. My dad tried to push the Yankees on me and I rebelled immediately. 30 years of Mets blunders later and I still carry his shame. Uh, and then Giancarlo responds, I feel I feel for you. What a burden you have put upon yourself. It's true. Being a Mets fan is very difficult. Kids always rebel. Um, I, I became, I was a Mets fan as a kid. I think that it, because they were the fun team to root for in the 80s when I was growing up. My dad didn't have a strong preference for either team. I became a Denver Broncos fan in football because they had the same colors as the Mets and the New York Knicks, and that that being orange and blue, of course. And then my dad, uh, I think he tried to share something with me. <laughs> Very sweet. And became a Broncos fan as well. But this kind of, I don't know, as a kid, I wanted it to be my own thing. So um, it's tough. Parenting's tough. You can't do it right. So um, if you're going to mess it up anyway, you might as well indoctrinate. So um, yeah, just buy a lot of Yankees gear. He may eventually rebel, but um, yeah, the point is 
John Carlos Stanton's probably not going to help you very much. All right. Sunday Johnson, uh, my old friend Sunday, says, why do people sport? Well, as Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game. I think that's your answer. You play to win the game. Um, but if I could answer it a little bit in more depth, why do I watch sports? Um, I, I think I get the, you see the Frank Nilakina jersey behind me. That's where I get the most joy and most, um, the most feeling and passion out of watching sports where it's the most cathartic experience where I live and die with every possession is when I'm watching Frank play, whether it was on the Knicks or now with the Mavericks, you know, with him, I, um, I always felt like he'd be a great player. Like he still will be a great player. Like he's important to the rotation that the, the Knicks were doing something wrong by not playing him. And that's why it's that I want to be right. That's why I watch sports. That's why we all watch sports to be right. It's like a relationship between two people. The most important thing is being right. All right, next question is from Sonny Atwal. Receiver position has become so important in the NFL. How long do you see the receiver boom lasting? It's very true. Uh, receivers are, I think we just had a wide receiver go. Did we have a wide receiver go number one overall? I can't remember what, the dra- what happened in the draft. I don't think so. I think Hutchinson maybe went number one overall. The uh, for the Detroit Lions, um, any I mean, yeah, there there before then there wasn't a receiver drafted number one overall since uh, Keyshawn Johnson. But receiver is a premium position, especially those big receivers, the ones that are six five, uh, the guys that are always on Alabama, um, uh, Ch- uh, Demar Chase for the Cincinnati Bengals made a huge. Huge impact just in his rookie season. So there's going to be a boom. It's going to last a while until, but none of these things last forever. Um, like like life, you know, nothing lasts forever. So eventually all the teams are going to kind of follow this trend and all the teams are going to start playing, def- figure out defensive schemes for this it's a copycat league and an adjusting league and an adaptable league. And, and eventually what's going to happen is pass coverage is going to get so put to the forefront in such a way that uh, there'll be ways to, there'll be ways to run against this. And I think that is what's going to change things. And uh, teams will learn to exploit that. And there'll be new offenses, maybe new New premium positions, I guess. Maybe middle linebackers will start going at the top of the draft. And as, as that adapts, it'll adapt to with the receivers. I think I think the receiver boom is going to hap- keep happening for another five to ten years. But about ten years from now, I think the league is going to adjust somehow in ways we probably can't foresee yet. And, uh, and it won't be as much of a premium position. But it'll always be kind of there. Um... Timothy Thompson asks in all caps, because that's that's how he talks. Why is Kyrgios such a damn skunk? He is a skunk. What a skunk, a stinky skunk. He is such a hateable, he's a hateable Australian tennis player. He, I think, I, I to be honest, I had to Google some stuff about him because I'm not, not, not a tennis guy. He 
Um, he, uh, I think, is guilty of domestic violence, maybe sexual assault. I, I don't know all the details, but he seems like he seems like a prick and looks like a prick. Um, he's such a skunk. You know why is he such a damn skunk? Because tennis needed something. I'm not saying this for the good. I I, I don't like this guy, um, but Djokovic was the one and only skunk, you know, with his anti-vaxxing position. Um, but he's back, he's playing, he's in Wimbledon, so he needs a foil. So it's going to be a skunk versus a skunk. Um, this is, this is what is the, what really is happening here is we're setting the groundwork for a new tennis hero to come and save us from this wretched, skunky, uh, crime-ridden, layout that we currently have in these tennis tournaments there's no, there's nobody to root for that's why like what are you gonna watch i mean rafi nadal is he's someone to root for but he's not really uh at his prime anymore so one day the next um the next baby face is gonna rise in the tennis world now revere us how do you feel regarding the schedule change to the wsop main event wsop it stands for World Series of Poker. Um, I assume it's World Series of Poker and not Pinochle. But uh, they, they changed the schedule of the main events. I, you know, I, um, I don't know. I, uh, I, to be honest, I didn't know that they changed the main events. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't know because it's my job to know sports. But... It's it's a travesty. That's all I could say. It's um, the fix is in. The fix is in. I mean, this is betting. This is uh, when there's gambling involved, both as the sport itself and if you could gamble on the gambling, then it's susceptible to a fix. And why else would they change the time? Right? Right? Speaking of uh, Las Vegas, which is where I assume these tournaments happen or where it's the gambling capital of the world, read an article the other day that um, with climate change, uh, Lake Mead in Nevada, in the Las Vegas area, which is kind of a reservoir created by the Hoover Dam for the Colorado River, is starting to dry up and the water is receding due to the heat waves they're having. And that is revealing all these dead bodies that the mob threw into the lake when the mob was big in Las Vegas. Um, so that's fun. I guess. I mean, it's it's not fun that the climate is changing, but finding dead bodies, um, also not fun. I guess I should be a little care- more careful with my words here. Um, point is, um, the climate is changing and dead bodies are turning up in so many ways, and maybe maybe that's why the World Series of Poker has been, the schedule has been changed, because... The FBI is there. They had to just make sure all the all their ducks were in a row. So there you have it, folks. Um, and that's all your questions. Please uh, submit any questions right now if you if you have any that are coming up. Um, and I've got some questions of my own that I'm gonna both po- posit and answer. And of course, um, to anybody who's who's watched every episode of this show and listened to every episode of this podcast knows is that I'm a huge New York Knicks fan. Um, 
And there, and, and trust me, there are people who've listened to every single episode of Larry Knows Sports, and I bet they have a favorite episode. What's your favorite episode? Tell me. So my question's for the Knicks. I think there are four things that need to be answered for this franchise in the wake of what they've done this offseason. And I'm a fan of what they've done this offseason. I've said it on the show. I, I like Jalen Brunson. I think Jalen Brunson is able to be the third best player on a championship team, right? He's already proven uh, this season that he could be the second best player on a conference finals team which he was with Dallas. He was the second best player on that team. They made it to the conference finals. So I think I, I think I feel very comfortable that he's now in his prime. This this contract is going to be for his prime years. It's a little, maybe a little bit of an overpay, but not egregiously so. So And he's the third best player on a championship team. And at 25, 26 million a year, not bad. Which means if the Knicks want to win a championship, they need the second best player on a championship team and the first best player on a championship team. So that's kind of the backdrop for everything that we're going to talk about. So the first question is about Julius Randle. And it's just, it's a, I guess, a group of questions of what, what happens with him. Um, there are a few outcomes. One is, can he be integrated into an offense where he is not a not a high usage guy because with Jalen Brunson he's just going to have no room to be a high usage guy uh, adding the fact that RJ is going to is still a focus of the team is going to be developed um, and his development has got to be a priority for this team RJ is going to still continue to be a pretty high usage guy so his, Julius can no longer be a high-usage guy. And then if he's not a high-usage guy, then what is he? And this is why I kind of want to see him moved, is because I feel like he's going to have... His best role is when he has the basketball, but he's not good enough with the basketball to be your primary. So his, his best role is as a primary or a very close secondary ball handler for a second unit, Right? So as a sixth or seventh man. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, that's not probably not worth the money he's being paid and um, not worth blocking some guys such as Obi Toppin and possibly Cam Reddish, who's kind of on the outside looking in on the rotation. And the rotation, what I think it would be if the season started today, your first unit would be Brunson, Fournier, RJ, Randall, Mitch, your second unit would be, I think Derek Rose would still get the nod, it being Tibbs and him wanting a, a true, true point guard. Quickly, Grimes, Obi Toppin, and Hartenstein. And that leaves Cam Reddish outside of the rotation. And um, I'll get to Cam Reddish in a sec. So moving Randall would open space for that. So the question with Randall is, is, is does he change the way he plays where he could fit into an offense and be productive and efficient where he's not a high usage guy, not holding the ball, not playmaking a lot. If he is, maybe there's a way to keep him in. And I mean, maybe his ceiling is second best player on a championship team, which means we're one guy away. But if not, how do we move him? When do we move him? So that's question number one. Question number two is, what is RJ Barrett's ceiling? And he's going into year four. 
we're not going to fully see his ceiling be manifested yet because he's still in the years before his prime. But what we'll we'll get the the picture will become a little bit clearer of what his ceiling is. So this is how I see the probability spectrum with RJ. 5% chance he becomes the best player on a championship team. I'd say 20% chance he becomes 20 to 25% chance he becomes the second best player on a on a championship team. Still fairly low, but um, I actually think that could happen. I'm, a, I'm an RJ believer. Then let's say 30% chance that he becomes the third best player on a championship team. That leaves us with 55. Then um, I'd say another 25% chance that he becomes like the fourth best player on a championship team. And then a 20% chance, I think that fills out the whole probability spectrum, 20% chance it becomes the fifth best player slash role player on a championship team. So that means a 25% chance, 20% chance, 20 to 25% chance he's the second best player, in which case we just need one more guy. Uh, 5% chance he becomes the best player, in which case we need, you know, a a, a very good, another all-star, but not a superstar. And then 30, 35% chance he becomes the third best player, something around Jalen Brunson's uh, ilk. And we need one superstar and maybe one all-star. Okay. So that's the question is where does RJ become? Because then that leads to how do we get the remaining stars? That's, that, that's the real question for the Knicks. A lot of talk about Donovan Mitchell and trading. I mean, some some would speculate that RJ would be part of a trade. I can't see the Knicks doing that. I don't think they should do that. What do the Knicks trade to get Donovan Mitchell if they make that trade? And the real, you know, some some say the question is then what do they have left? I think the question following that is what do they have left not to put around Donovan Mitchell? What do they have left to make another trade? Because more than likely, I think Donovan Mitchell, his ceiling is second best player on a championship team. If you make the trade for Donovan Mitchell, you have to also be able to make the trade for a superstar, the number one player on a championship team. And I think if you make the trade for Donovan Mitchell, it doesn't leave you with enough left to go do that. So that's why I'm against trading for Donovan Mitchell. In short, this could be explored in way, 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 way more detail. So if RJ does become the second best player, how do you get the first best player? If RJ does not, how do you get the second best and first best player? It becomes a lot more difficult. So we'll see. We'll we'll have a lot of questions answered with RJ. If he doesn't become at least the second best player on a championship team, um, then the Knicks have a lot of work to do. It, it's 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 going to be a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe you have to go back to the draft. Maybe they have to get an all-star level player via free agency before making the big trade. Maybe they have to have a summer like the Clippers had three or four years ago when they got both Kawhi and Paul George. They were able to, in one summer, get both guys, one via free agency and one via trade. So the Knicks either have to do that or they have to be able to make the one big trade. Okay, 
The fourth question I have for the Knicks is what happens with Cam Reddish? So this ties a little bit into what we were talking about with Julius Randle, where can he be moved to make room? Um, and the reason I say that is it seems like Cam Reddish is not really a part of things. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I like Cam Reddish and the, the thing, take a step back. Cam Reddish is six foot eight, seven foot one wingspan. He is what you call a big wing. He is, he's got all the building blocks of a Paul George-like player, a, a wing who's quick on his feet, who's defensive, who, who could play, who could play good defense, who could shoot. Um, RJ, on the other hand, is a he's got size, but he's more of like a small wing, you know? Um, six foot six. What's really hard to find is that big wing, that Paul George level. That's why Shaden Sharp was drafted so high. Cam has not been able to stay on the court, has not put together a good string of games when he's been on the court. Um, But because he has all those physical tools and he's under contract for one more year on his rookie scale contract, I think I would like to see the Knicks, and I think a a franchise should give it one more shot in that last year of steel to see if he can become that very talented big wing. Cause that is so hard to find and so valuable. You, you just, you gotta, you gotta give it a shot. And um, so that's why I think I, that's what another reason, another thing about trading either Fournier or Julius Randall, or maybe relegating, Dirk Rose to the bench, although I don't see Tibbs doing that, but somehow making room for Cam Reddish in their rotation, I think is is an important thing for the team to do. Who knows? They may end up just tra- trading Cam Reddish and look for that wing somewhere else. All right, so that's where I have... Those are, those are the four main questions for the Knicks is, what do they do with Julius Randle? What's R.J. Barrett's ceiling? Can Cam Reddish be put into the rotation? And how do they get that one and or second star level player to really become champions. All right, there you have it. Uh, It looks like we got one more question at the end here from uh, Aubrey Kyber. Um, He says, best sport? Um, You know, I'll say sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling is the best sport. And um, we got a Basho coming up next week. Sumo wrestling is maybe not the best sport. It's the best sport to watch because all the matches are condensed into like 20 minutes. You watch it once. It's for 15 days in a row uh, for 20 minutes each morning. It's like it's the perfect watching experience because it happens at 4 a.m. Eastern time, you know, prime time in Tokyo or, or wherever the, the championships are going on, wherever the Basho is going on. You get to like fast forward through matches you don't care about. Um, it's a great way to start your day watching these humongous guys in Mawashi go at it. Um, well, this was fun. I'll do a mailbag again sometime soon. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to join and get your questions in. Um, until then, you could uh, subscribe to Larry Knows Sports where you get your podcasts. And you could follow at Larry the Athlete on all social media. May all your dreams be hoop dreams, and may the rest of your days be days of thunder. <laughs>